You're listening to Becoming Fully Alive, hosted by Church of the Ascension in Knoxville. I'm Billy Daniel. And I'm Caroline Vogel. Today's podcast is the first of our deep dives into the Gospel of Luke. Spiritus Knox is a center for spiritual learning and practice. We've set up a monthly offering rhythm for Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. The first Sunday evening is the Spiritus Knox book study. Second Sunday evening of the month is Breathing Under the Oak Trees. Third Sunday evening is our monthly Celtic service. And the fourth Sunday is Tools of Aliveness. So we hope that you'll join us. You can learn more at our website, spiritusnox.com. So this week, we're reading chapters 1 through 4 in the Gospel of Luke. And we've each chosen something where we felt like the Spirit was speaking to us. So here we go. You've chosen something from chapter 1, right? I have. It's the uh, story of Zechariah. So I'm going to read the passage, and then I'll offer how the Spirit's speaking to me. Great. This chapter 1 starts with verse 8. Now it happened that when it was Zechariah's order's turn in the presence of God, and as he was serving as priest, it fell to him by lot, as was the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And all the main body of the people was outside praying during the hour of the incense. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of the incense. And seeing him, Zechariah was alarmed, and fear descended upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your supplication has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall declare his name to be John. And for you there will be joy and delight, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the Lord's eyes, and he must not drink wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with a Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go forth in his presence, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and to turn the wayward to the wisdom of the upright, to prepare a people made ready for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, In what way shall I know this? For I am old, and my wife is well advanced in her days. And in reply to the, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stand before the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and announce these good tidings to you. See then you shall be silent and unable to speak till the day these things take place, because you did not trust my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. Now the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were amazed that he was taking so much time in the sanctuary. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they knew he had seen a vision in the sanctuary, and he was gesturing to them and remained mute. 
when I listen to this passage, the story of Zachariah's encounter with the angel Gabriel, what, what strikes me most immediately is, you know, Jesus talks a lot about how um, people of this generation need another sign. And I forget where, where this is, but he says, there's no other sign needed than Jonah. And we, I have this tendency, I, I know at least in years past, and still I think uh, even today, that when I feel like God is speaking or leading me to something, it's still like I need some other sign. Like I need something, I need confirmation. And what this passage draws me back to was, is my own sense of calling. Hmm. And when I was wrestling with my call, I, I really was looking for a way out. And, and I remember going to a mentor of mine and saying, so I'm really not sure about this whole serving, serving in the church business. And, and he said, well, if you're having doubts about it, then just kind of leave. Don't do it. Do, do, do something else. And I took that as my permission to go do something else. And, and I was miserable the whole time. And, and I, it didn't take long before I, I came back and and re-inhabited that calling and I, I think about the invitation that Zachariah has given this call of God upon him and he wanted confirmation that this is actually what God wanted him to do and I think that's a very human thing I know mm -hmm. I wanted it and um, and, and I think in desiring something more, because we always want something more to affirm it, we, we miss out on the, the excitement of just moving ahead mm. and trusting and, and letting it unfold and finding out along the way if we may have misunderstood, mm. if we may have missed it. Zachariah, in many respects, receives a gift of going silent. And I was thinking about that this morning when I read this passage of the gift of going mute so that he had to sit with his own distrust, his own uncertainty, and and I think about the times when I haven't trusted or I've been uncertain and how good silence would have been if I had, if it had fallen upon me. Because <laughs> I didn't want to be silent. Mm -hmm. I wanted to start figuring it all out. And maybe that's part of the call when we receive it is instead of distrust or trying to figure it out, maybe that's when we need to go silent 
and just receive it and and let the call come to life in us and i think for me that has been my experience and what i wish i would have had 25 years ago is the wherewithal to be silent hmm. It's taken me that long, I think, to be able to be silent when I hear that call now. Hmm. And even now, it's still hard. But the great thing, because we know how the story continues, is so Zachariah is silent for all this time. And when he can finally speak again, he sings a hymn of praise. And I think about how for me, um, those times when I am silent, when I am really present to the invitation of God, I often find myself singing hymns. Mm especially the hymns from my childhood. And I'm reminded so much in um, this encounter with Zechariah and Gabriel of, you know, if, if, we, if we really take that moment to go silent of our own accord, not the forced silence we might experience because we are resistant, but if we go silent and we let the spirit move, then the spirit sings a song of praise through us. Mm. And it resonates deeply today in a way that I'm not sure it, it did or could have when I was going through my own sense of calling many years ago. But don't you think that that's part of <clears throat> the evolution of faith and the evolution of our own experiences? Yes. <laughs> um, a silence is something that we live into and learn. And the call of God is... It's almost like um, we. It's almost like we have to go through moments of resistance mm -hmm. in order to get to the place of letting be. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, I'm kind of laughing at myself because I think it is part of the evolution. And yet, as we were discussing yesterday, um, Mary who's quite young when she has this conversation, her conversation with Gabriel, there isn't that resistance, right? She, it's almost like she hears the invitation in silence, even though she's has tremendous amount of, of evolving ahead of her. Yeah. And, and Mary, the, the, the response, the difference in the responses between Mary and Zachariah are 
are so fascinating to me because, you know, Gabriel tells Zachariah what's going to happen, and Zachariah says, how am I going to know? And Gabriel comes to Mary and says what's going to happen, and Mary says, how's it going to happen? Mm-hmm. Not, how am I going to know? Right. But how's it going to happen? And, and, and I, think, I think there is a lot that Mary doesn't have to unlearn. Right. That Zachariah has to unlearn. Yeah. And, and I think about the stuff that, you know, as we get older and we become adults and start doing adult things, we, we learn to stave off, um, to, to sort of resist and kind of defend ourselves against all manner of things Mm -hmm. and, and to question whether or not something is real or valid or good in in a scrutinizing way that doesn't open us to a sense of wonder about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas a Mary is immediately struck with wonder Mm -hmm. and, and just really wants to know, okay, tell me how. Right. And, and that's the gift of a childlike faith Mm -hmm. that Mary still has. And that, you see returning to life in Zechariah in his hymn of praise after John is born mm-hmm. that he didn't probably realize he had lost sight of. Yeah. Well, that just makes me wonder all kinds of things about Mary, like her childlike faith. It makes me so curious. Do you think that she had a childlike faith when when she watched her son die on a cross? Mm. My sense of Mary is that she evolved quite a bit from that first moment with Gabriel. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, how could she not have? Well, and even, you know, later in, I think it's in chapter two in Luke's gospel, where there... They're in Jerusalem, they've gone, and, right. and Jesus stays back around to hang out with the, with the temple teachers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't realize that Jesus has been gone and for three days. Mm-hmm. And so they go back to get Jesus, and, and Jesus tells Mary, well, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Right. And, and Mary basically says, Boy, you listen here. Right. <laughs> Your father and I have been worried sick about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very motherly thing, a very adult thing. But Mary shifts really quickly, mm-hmm. and um, and immediately turns around and says, "She, she was." Um, she pondered all these things in her heart in the same way that she pondered it when Gabriel came to her. Right. And you can almost see, um, and we don't know everything about Mary's progression, but you almost see this continual return to that childlike faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know when Jesus is on the cross. I mean, I can imagine the immediate sorrow but I can, I can imagine the immediate return as well. 
So I guess it, it makes me wonder, what do you mean by childlike faith? Mm-hmm. I think for me and and what it seems, how it seems to be described by Jesus in the Gospels is, um, I mean, I think about, I think about kids on a playground mm-hmm. and, and how quickly they are able to um, <clears throat> sort of form a, a pact. Mm-hmm. And and run with it. Mm-hmm. And um, in in one of his essays, G.K. Chesterton talks about in defense of rash vows, and he talks about we we should make all vows rashly and live into them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and it's this sense, it's this childlike sense. I think is is just go with it, and then work it out along the way. Hmm. And so trust, so that childlike, just trust, and just figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about having it all worked out at the beginning, mm-hmm. because that's not what life with God looks like. Right. Well, you've given me a lot to think about. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, childlike faith, huh? Okay. So I know that you are taking a different look at our scriptures for this week. And I guess to no surprise, you're talking about the Spirit, maybe? Maybe so. So, and it's no surprise. One of the things I love when I read scripture, and when I think one of the joys of reading a couple chapters in a row and inviting people to think about them, We can always do what you did, which is to pick one story to kind of then drill down. And then another approach can always be, well, what kept popping up, right, through several stories? And one of my favorite things, especially about the beginning of Luke, is how many appearances the Holy Spirit makes. Um, How many? Well, nine or eight, eight or nine. You know, I lost, I lose track. Um, But we have Zechariah who says, um, even before um, his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow Mary. And then we have Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then... um, there was another filling of the Holy Spirit, another later in the first chapter. And the second chapter, okay, this is maybe one of my favorites. If I, That's maybe not fair to say I have a favorite. But when Simeon, the Holy Spirit rested on him, and then he re- is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and then he's guided by the Holy Spirit. So you have these three movements of the Spirit happening Well, I imagine them happening pretty um, quick next to each other. And it does make me wonder, if you had three movements of the Spirit so quickly, maybe it makes me wonder about what you just shared. If you had three movements, maybe that would leave you feeling a sense of assurance, Hmm. right? Like, oh, maybe I can trust this. Hmm. Something was revealed to me. 
the Holy Spirit felt like it was the re- Spirit was resting on me, and then I was guided by the Spirit. I mean, and it's a three, you know. So, I think that that that's maybe that would offer some assurance. But even further down, then we have in Jesus' baptism in the third chapter, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And that does make me wonder, too, if if we could see the Spirit in a bodily form, if that helps us trust the movement of the Spirit. Um, And then we have Jesus is, he's full of the Spirit after his baptism. He returns from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Um, And then after the wilderness, Jesus is filled by the power of the Holy Spirit and begins his ministry. At that very beginning part of his ministry, he's reading from the scroll and it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's really owning that and claiming that. So one of the things that really speaks to me in these first four chapters of Luke is, first of all, The Holy Spirit is not just breathing through and guiding Jesus. That there's all these people who are associated with Jesus who are also being filled and moved and guided by the Spirit. Mm. Um, And they're all in relationship to Him. And, you know, so much of my experience with the Holy Spirit um, you know, it's interesting, as you were sharing, I was thinking about there have been times in my life where I feel like the Spirit fills me at, in a moment where I'm already in silence. Mm-hmm. And so I can really, I feel like I'm really attuned and I can hear the whispers of the Spirit. And there are other times where I'm probably in a really noisy place in my life and and you're right, those are the times when I, I question, like, was that the Holy Spirit? And I have to, and I can get really angsty about it and mm-hmm. want to try to figure it out, just like Zechariah. But if I go to the silence, if I go to the silence, and sometimes it takes a lot of silence, and sometimes it takes a little silence, I can never predict it. But it will, it will be known. I mean, it, it does present itself. It does reveal itself. Um, but one of the things I've learned is you can't rush it. <laughs> you, it's a very patient practice in my experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I think as I was reading back over this week, the thing that really <clears throat> caught me was how quick I am um, even in my love of the Holy Spirit and in my friendship with the Holy Spirit, that I can still be quick to dismiss um, how I'm being filled up or how I'm feeling led. Um, yeah, and that, that need of returning to silence in order to be with so that it can be revealed in God's time. Yeah. You know, one of the... One of the passages that you mentioned, and we've talked about this before, that has always struck me is that when Jesus is led out into the wilderness, Mm -hmm. it's the Spirit dragging him out there. Right. And and I wonder, 
I wonder how that relates to your sense of silence. Hmm. And and <laughs> maybe what are the experiences that you might name as the spirit dragging you somewhere? Yeah. I've been dragged. Sure. <laughs> I've been dragged a number of times. But the one that pops up into my head first is um, the very first time I went on silent retreat. It was a five-day retreat. And um, so I was with like 20 to 30 people. I had not met the facilitator before, but I knew I could sense that she was really gifted at, at, at leading silent retreats. Um, and so as I started dropping into the silence, um, my mind went on fire. Mm -hmm. Like there was just so much resistance in my being, in my mind, in my heart space, um, to really be in the silence. And so I felt like that was a time where I was being dragged mm -hmm. into the silence. And that was a pretty extreme example. Um, but, you know, it reminds me, too, of Parker Palmer, some of his writing, hmm. when he talks about how when the spirit is wanting to get our attention, um, first there's whispers, hmm. then there's uh, maybe it gets louder, maybe it even feels like a scream, and then sometimes it feels like um, the spirit is throwing rocks at us <laughs> and to get our attention. and. I think that that's our resistance, right? It's like, hmm, I, I sense something or I hear something, but I am not going to make the time to be with that and to sit with it and to let it uh, move me and transform me. And so the Spirit just keeps up, you know? And so I think in those situations, like Parker Palmer describes, and, and that I've had certainly too, is... Um, it does feel like I'm being dragged. Like sometimes feeling dragged is the spirit has to get louder and louder and throw rocks at me um, yeah. to get my attention. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I would never describe it as the spirit throwing rocks at me. Um, and I've had those experiences where it just really felt like the spirit was pressing down hard, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and, and as you say, I can look back and I can see that what, what felt like being pressed down hard on really had to do with my own resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think something that I'm really curious about with the movement of the spirit and how we experience that movement or like you said that feeling of being like pressed down on whereas I might have experiences being like rocks are being thrown at me or she's screaming at me <laughs> um, because I'm so resistant it makes me really curious about all the ways we talk about the movement of the spirit getting our attention mm -hmm. like I have been listening to um, Glennon Doyle's podcast and in her latest book Untamed she talks about intuition mm. and how what, what happens when we don't listen to our intuition or I think about um, the Quakers and way opening um, and what happens when we don't follow way um, when we are resistant to it and go our own way 
Um, but there's so many different ways that we talk about this now in our culture. And I just, I love that we can say, oh, I, maybe we're all talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and we have different ways of experiencing it with a felt sense and we have different language for it. Um, and for me, it's all the movement of the spirit. And so maybe those what feel like rocks or pressure or onslaughts or whatever it might be, if we maybe enter into that space of silence, mm-hmm. maybe that's when we start to experience those as invitations. I think so, although I'll be honest that when I enter the silence and I'm already experiencing the rocks or the pressure, it usually is rockier first. And then it settles down and then I can start to be with it, be with the invitation. Because here's the thing I always forget is that it's a holy invitation even when it's rocks. I just forget Mm -hmm. that it's a holy invitation, right? Because it's all about goodness. I mean, the Holy Spirit is pursuing us. Our own intuition, our own soul is pursuing us out of goodness. Yeah. I mean, our our soul, the Holy Spirit, wants goodness for us. And we keep thinking, oh, no, no, that couldn't be good. (laughs) That couldn't be good. So... um, I wonder if we could sort of switch gears for a second, because I want to ask you another question. Okay. And this is about Elizabeth. Okay. So we don't really learn too much about, we don't know that she had any kind of engagement with Gabriel or anything. And she seems to get it. I mean, even after John is born. Right. She knows what his name is supposed to be, even though everybody says, no, 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 he needs to be named after his father. Right. And Elizabeth says, no, 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 his name will be John. Right. And then they go to get confirmation from Zachariah, and Zachariah writes down John on the, on the paper. And where, how does Elizabeth come by all this? What's, what's the movement of the Spirit that you see in Elizabeth? Well, <clears throat> first of all, Elizabeth, Elizabeth's had a hard time. Right? Like, I mean, she wanted to have a baby, and she was even um, had some, I can't remember exactly what the scripture says, but but it was difficult for her that she had not been able to have a child prior to this moment. So she'd moved through life in a way where life was not offering her what she wanted. And I do think that when human beings have that experience— it it deepens them. Mm-hmm. Um, it I do think it, it it provides an opportunity, not all of us take it, but it does provide an opportunity to draw ever closer to God. And so so then in her older age, when the, probably the deepest desire of her heart is fulfilled, mm-hmm. I think she lives into it in a way, that would be different than if she got what she wanted from the beginning. Yeah. Right? So then I, my sense of Elizabeth is that then, you know, so then here's her young cousin who's coming to spend time with her. And 
you know, she is filled with the Holy Spirit, just even seeing Mary. Mm. And in that movement of the Spirit, you know, John in her belly just leaps with joy. <laughs> and and I have to wonder if that is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Zechariah had. Mm. When, you know, it said, bef- even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that the moment? Mm. You know, when Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, is John also, you know, in the womb, filled with the Spirit in that moment? And and then what does Elizabeth immediately do with that um, that filling of the Spirit? My sense is it it's grace happens, right, when we're filled with the Spirit. Her mind is enlightened. Her heart is stirred. She is strengthened into God's will by that movement of the Spirit. And the Scripture said, Elizabeth says to Mary, And blessed is she who believed, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Right, because Mary could have doubted the whole time, mm-hmm. and, and she maybe did have moments of doubt. I kind of hope she did because that's incredibly human, and would help me to resonate with her more. Um, I think help humanity resonate with her more. And I, I just I love how that, yeah, because that is my experience that the movement of the Spirit is what enlightens my mind to be able to see clearly. Well, and. And what I what I thought you were going to draw attention to just then um, is something that because you mentioned grace, mm-hmm. but the first thing that Elizabeth says when Mary comes to her is, "Who am I?" Ah, and and there's this absolute recognition. So she's been given this gift of a child in her own womb. So she's feeling blessed, mm-hmm. and. When, when Mary walks in the door, who am I that the, the mother of my Lord should come to visit? Mm-hmm. And, and it's that deepening awareness of just how um, gracious God has been to her. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if that, too, is so much part of that movement of the Spirit. I think so. I mean, I think the movement of the Spirit has a way of humbling us, mm. right? Um, as you talk about sometimes of, of being able to see with, with great clarity that all of life is gift. Yeah. And so maybe even she looks back on all those years of not having had a child. Mm. Somehow she maybe even sees that as gift. And, and certainly this much younger cousin of hers, um, it would be so easy to be like, ah, oh, I mean, she's so young and she's, you know, she's going to have such a different experience and to feel jealous or to feel upset mm. and and yet because of that movement of the spirit and and really embracing the blessing of her own life she's able to see blessing everywhere no and no envy no envy and and the that real sense of wonder who am i that that you would come visit me i mean it's it's her kin i mean right. it's the most normal thing for mary to do to go to the the older person in the family and say, hey, I'm pregnant. Do you have any advice? Right. Sure. <laughs> um, how's and it, and how's, stay for three months. And how's it going for you? Yeah. Um, and 
and yet she it's it's almost as if Elizabeth is looking to Mary for guidance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that deep sense of humility mm-hmm. and knowing that they both have this deep connection through the movement of the Holy Spirit in both of them mm-hmm. yeah so something to think about maybe in relation to some of the passages we just discussed and the movement of the Spirit is is maybe what's been your engagement with or living into a space of silence and how might inhabiting that space of silence enable enable you to receive the invitation of the Spirit, receive the invitation of God, what, what is God calling you to, to be able to hear that and, and to act on it? And also how does cultivating that inner silence help us actually follow and move with the Spirit in the world uh, and in all of our relationships? Yeah, because like you like you discussed with Zechariah, um, since he wasn't hearing it, the invitation and the silence, he was silenced, mm-hmm. right? And and there certainly are ways in which it may not be so dramatic, but there certainly are ways in which I think in all of our lives we're silenced to some degree. Um, but yeah, how how might silence? How might silence create some sacred ground, some breathing room Mm -hmm. to really be able to hear invitation, to be able to hear the whispers of the spirit um, and and to and maybe even to have more of a felt sense of being filled by the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. And, And that others are involved in that, too. Right. And and if I can be comfortable with myself being silent without the felt need to say something in return when someone is speaking to me, but really just be there in that listening posture and really listening. Mm -hmm. Um, Then not only am I developing that inner silence, but I am ensuring that the person I'm listening to mm-hmm. is is both heard and and received and, and I get to experience who I am from their story mm. and which which also opens in my experience it opens that other person the person I'm talking to to a richer awareness of of who they are with me yeah and, and I think that's that cultivating of silence within that allows us to be present even when it's really noisy outside. Yeah. No, I, and I've experienced that. And, and the more I practice the silence, the more I do experience that with other people. Because I think, I, again, this is just my experience, but when I can really listen to someone in that place of stillness and quiet, the silence, I can see them so much better, right? Yeah. 
And, and sometimes I think when the person, their experience is that they, they feel seen, mm-hmm. they feel understood, not just in the specificity of what they're sharing, but in a broader sense of wholeness. Yeah. And that is a tremendous gift in this world. And, and I also think sometimes that awareness is yes about the two people like I understand myself or I see myself better in the relationship but but I also have experienced it where the person sharing if I'm listening in silence they have a better sense of themselves yeah like they can see themselves better regardless of me and our relationship or whatever it's just a, a greater sense of um who they are as a person who God is calling them to be um, and maybe less agitation in uh, any gaps <laughs> that may be there. You know, who I am today, who I see, experience myself being today, and, and who I feel like God has called me to be, any of those gaps. If I can sit in the silence and hold that with them, regardless of how much they're even articulating it, um, it can be a transformative experience. Yeah. For both the one sharing and the person listening. Oh, completely. And I think you put your finger on it in that sense of wholeness. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I are reading that book by Robert Sardello, uh, Silence. Mm-hmm. And, and he talks about this inner silence as enablest, enabling us to experience the wholeness, mm-hmm. both my wholeness with the other person, the world around me, my environment, and I no longer see how things are disconnected, Mm -hmm. but I see how we're all related, Mm -hmm. and related from that space of silence, um, where we receive each other in that real, deep, reciprocal way. Right. Um, Seeing, experience our sense of self, not from my own ego, right? but in that sense of wholeness with each other. Yeah. So, I mean, so I, I, think, I think what we're saying is that if we can receive the invitation, mm-hmm. like Zachariah, and if we can experience ourselves being filled by the Holy Spirit, um, oftentimes, at least in our experience, it takes a fair amount of silence um, to receive and to be filled by and how that has a profound effect on everything we do and, and, and everybody we interact with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's never a singular experience. No, it's always a drawing into, Mm -hmm. um, Mm. a drawing into from that place of, of silence. Um, drawing into a wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so be thinking about these passages, be thinking about the movement of the Spirit and, and how to experience that fully from a place of silence. And, and maybe what the invitation of God looks like and feels like when, when, the, when the inner noise has been rooted out and and we can really hear from that space of silence, that place of wholeness. Mm -hmm. It's a great invitation. 
hope you've enjoyed this episode of Becoming Fully Alive. And we invite you to join us in person for conversations just like these any Sunday morning at 9.15 a.m. here in Church of the Ascension. You are also welcome to join us for worship at 8 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. And join us this Sunday evening, September 25th at 5 p.m. as we discuss Lifecraft, building a way to navigate our lives daily, weekly, monthly, and even yearly. So we're orienting our hearts and lives towards God. Then the following Sunday evening, October 2nd at 5 p.m. will be Spiritus Knox Book Study, where we'll discuss the second half of braiding sweetgrass. We hope you'll join us.